This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Mississippi Education Connection. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, children will return to school campuses throughout Mississippi this fall, but learning may look a little different. State Superintendent of Education, Dr. Carrie Wright, joins us again this morning to talk about reopening options for districts, health and safety guidelines, digital learning, and more. Now, phone lines are open, and we'd love for you to join our conversation with your questions and comments. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Well, good morning, Tara. Good morning, Michelle. How are you today? I'm doing fine. It's a little cooler today with the overcast from Hurricane, what's her name? <laughs> Do you know the name of the hurricane? Java. I don't know it yet. <laughs> I know. I, I, she said it this morning. They said it this morning. Uh, it surpasses me now. But um, I'm not saying we are welcoming a hurricane, but it does make uh, for a nice overcast and a little windy. I stood outside a little bit this morning, just enjoyed the wind coming in my face walking in the building. How are you this morning? Enjoying the, the breeze. I know. So, so, <laughs> Enjoying yes. the breeze as well, as well. <laughs> well, speaking of breezes and, oh, my goodness, it's about to be fall. I mean, believe it or not, summer just flew by. It and did. it is about to be fall, and we are upon school openings. And a lot of people um, around the world are deciding what to do about students returning to school. And uh, we have Dr. Carrie Wright, our state superintendent of education, to help us navigate through all of this and talk about reopening plans and how they came up with their three options for districts, as well as health and safety guidelines and her digital learning plan, which I can't wait to hear a lot more about. But before we we get into that, Tara, uh, tell us what's been going on in the education department this week. Well, I guess the two key things that we're doing this week is we have had several meetings with MDE and because we're looking to do the same thing that we did at the end of last year at MPB is to support um, MDE and our school districts across the state with um, su- support their curriculum online and perhaps with MPB television. And we're just trying to see the work out the best way to do that. So we're in communication and, and planning and talking about that. So that's a key thing that we'll be talking more about later on down the road um, that we're going to be doing. The other thing that we're working on or that's in motion is our parents, our teachers too initiative, mm-hmm. which we've talked about on the show here. Of course, it's our initiative. Uh, we call it PAT. And it is a parent-focused initiative, which focuses on empowering and encouraging families just to learn together. Parents get together in a six session, uh, six sessions with a facilitator to discuss, you know, hot topics, key topics of, of um, importance to the parents and their families. And they learn tips, strategies, and and best practices on how to work with their children at home. And, you know, we say parents are their children's first and most important teacher. And right now, this is just a great initiative for us to have going where we can work with parents and encourage them and hear from them most of all and try to give them the best um, tools and resources to work within their families on lessons and, and, and supporting their children. So Pat is underway, and, you know, we're signing families up across the state. And for more information, we just people can go to education.mpbonline.org to to um, get our contact information uh, within the state. Oh, wow. And, you know, Pat, like you mentioned earlier, Pat, we did have a whole show about your program and how important it is, especially, and Dr. Wright will attest to this when she gets on, about um, the style of learning that students will be doing this um, school year, either traditional, hybrid, or completely online. And parents are going to need as much support as possible to deal with um, either. I mean, all I think all areas of learning we as parents need help, but especially distance learning and hybrid because this is new for everyone. Yes, and the parent involvement piece is it's going to help the student. And you know, once parents 
you know, get more comfortable with the instruction piece at home, not just doing the homework and follow up, you know, it'll, it'll be help build the family unit as well and help the student to do better. So it's just a support. I look at it also as a support system, you know, for parents to, to reach out and build networks with other folks within their communities that they didn't know in the beginning. And so this is just a great time for us to be doing PAT. And we hope parents will join us in our sessions. That's great. And um, tell them again what website they can go to to learn more about Pat and other programs in the education department. Education.mpbonline.org. All right. Well, thank you, dear. Always something good and new in the education department. Now, speaking of education, of course, back to school is near and dear. And the main question on everyone's mind is how to keep our community safe while making sure Every child has access to tools they need to succeed. Well, State Superintendent of Education, Dr. Carrie Wright, joins us this morning to talk about that effort. Dr. Wright, we're very pleased to have you joining us again this morning. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to be here. All right. Thank you so much again. And I want to say personally, but thank you for being a partnership in Mississippi Education Connection on this new show we've dedicated during the COVID-19 pandemic. You guys have been a great asset to this show. Thank you so much. Happy to be happy to be your partner with you. All right. Well, we're going to, of course, jump right on in here, Dr. Wright. Uh, during the 2019-2020 school year, of course, when school buildings closed because of the pandemic, your department surveyed school districts on how they were delivering instruction. Can you tell us the results of the, that survey? Well, they're actually the... Uh the surveys are due on the 31st. We obviously got a number of them turned in already, but um, the uh, majority of our districts are offering um, a hybrid model of virtual and uh, in-person. Uh, I think that there are some districts I know that are offering only um, virtual or only in-person, but I think the majority of them are, are trying to offer both. Right, because I've been talking to a few parents that's been um, in different districts that are saying some t- some of the um, op- the things that they are offering is not um, helping their families, and that that's unfortunate. Um, I do like the traditional hybrid or in person option that gives you a roundabout option for your family, but like you said, some districts are only op- um, offering two options, um, and again, that is up to the districts. Correct. That that is correct. Um, each district was allowed to choose the option that um, uh, that they felt were best for their their communities. And uh, I know that a lot of superintendents surveyed their communities to kind of get a feel for what that would be like. And this is kind of fluid because districts are still kind of changing uh, what they're doing literally up until the last minute. I'm, I'm sure you're aware that Madison has, has made a decision to delay school start until September the 3rd, and that was really not their original plan. So right. I think the superintendents are still uh, trying to figure this out as we go, particularly since our numbers continue to climb. Right. Well, let's go back a little bit to March 2020. Sure. Uh, can you tell <laughs> us one of the biggest lessons you learned uh, in when mm. preparing to reopen schools this fall? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we've realized is the digital divide is real. And there are a lot of children that um, do not have connectivity to the Internet and a lot of children that just don't have a device. So we have uh, jumped on the offensive and I've got to really give a hats off to our legislature for uh, for funding this. Uh, we have a huge digital learning uh, plan um, that we've put together, uh, Senate Bill 3044 and House Bill 1788 uh, provided monies for us to be able to purchase a device basically for every single child in the district or in the state. And also um, where those devices will be um, cellular and Wi-Fi enabled. So uh, if you are able to reach, you know, a cell tower, uh, you'll have connectivity. Um, and I think most of, most everybody in the state has a cell phone. So I think we that that's a good thing. Um, we are going to be looking at how we where we might need to provide hotspots as well. Uh, and also learning management systems. And those are platforms that teachers can load their content onto 
then students can download that content onto their uh, devices and then we'll be able to have that um, at home in order to learn. That's probably been the biggest takeaway is the fact that we had so many children that, that were not able to um, have a device at home and, and made learning difficult. I think those districts did their best. I think a lot of districts um, that knew that was happening prepared packets. And some of those districts may have to start the year with packets. Uh, we have been negotiating with all the vendors um, recently, and we're trying, obviously, to get the cost down as much as we can. And then the board, we've called a special call board meeting on August the 6th for the board to approve these contracts so that we can um, we can issue those to vendors and start getting the devices in students' hands. Wow, that's a lot. We actually wanted to dive deeper into your distance learning plan later in the show. Sure. But right now, let's go to the phone lines. We actually have two calls on the line. Let's go to Biloxi, sure. Mississippi, and speak with Socia. Did I say your name Hi. right? Good morning. <laughs> yes, good morning. Um, I'm good morning. calling with, hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, I'm calling with two uh, particular concerns um, regarding all of this return to school. Um, we've heard a lot of different uh, news and, and briefings from the governor, but from what I'm gathering, he feels that it is more beneficial to send kids back to school than it is to keep them out of school. And while I can't say that I don't disagree with that, um, I feel like some of his verbiage has been to the point of, uh, as a parent or a teacher, what's the will? What's the number of deaths that uh, the Department of Education and the governor are willing to accept as collateral damage for opening up schools traditionally? Um, because that's a major concern as both you know educators and parents with that. And then I have another question after that one. Sure. Well, um, I, I don't know if you're aware, but the the, the National Association of uh, Pediatricians, um, as well as your local Mississippi chapter of pediatricians, um, believe that returning to school in person uh, is actually uh, the best thing to do, uh, obviously with safety precautions. Uh, the Department of Education and the State Board of Education do not have the authority uh, to dictate to districts uh, their start date or whether it's in person or whether it's virtual. Um, that the only one that the, per, the governor has the authority to issue an executive order if he wanted to push the start date back, but the state board and the Department of Ed um, do not. And so we're, we're following the medical guidelines, CDC's guidelines for reopening. That has been given to all of the um, superintendents as well. So you've got the medical professionals uh, recommending it. I think some superintendents... Um, are making decisions based on the input that they're receiving from their uh, from their communities. Well, I'm also a trained epidemiologist, and while people are very quick to call out certain publications that say that children are not uh, as likely to get the disease and not likely to uh, get it and spread it as much as adults, there has been some recent uh, publications within the last week that have shown that middle school, specifically ages 7 through 12th grade, are almost as uh, able to spread the virus as adults. Plus, we've also seen the growing of cases in Mississippi between the ages of 18 and 29. Um, my uh, agreement with you is that, yes, that traditional schooling is the best option for our children, but from my personal experience as both an educator in the state and a parent is that school districts are not architecturally nor, um, um, how do you say, resource uh, eligible or able to provide adequate social distancing. Uh, we have old school districts. Uh, I've worked in buildings that do not have windows or doors that are able to be opened. So while I agree that you, you, we need to open schools uh, and we need to do it safely, I do believe at this point it's quite difficult for many of us to do that. So why is there such a pushback to not um, a delaying school until, or even a hybrid model till we can see how the virus is going to play out for the next couple of weeks? That was my second well, question. Yeah, and that option is open to every district. I mean, every district has the ability to do exactly what you're asking. And so if it's something in that and we've been telling parents, 
and those that have emailed and called that this is really um, something that you need to be addressing with your local board and your local superintendent because they're the, they have the ability to do exactly what you just said. And so that's why I'm saying a lot of superintendents um, have surveyed the communities and then based on the information that they're getting from their parents, uh, made decisions accordingly. And I think you've got superintendents out there, I know you do, that are out there trying to develop their schedules so that they do have social distancing once the children are in school. So the best thing I would recommend um, that you do is, is to really reach out to your local board and your local superintendent. Well, thank you so much, uh, Socia from Biloxi. Great questions. Terry, you had a follow-up question? Yeah, I want um, I have a follow-up question to this, and maybe a little later I'll ask about um, tablets that, Dr. Wright, you were talking about. But to what she just said, I just kind of want to – a lot of people are saying, you know, they have these issues and concerns. And so I just want to reiterate and, and you to verify what the, the, the um, main thing is going to the local um, school boards, that the Department of Education has no authority. Is that what I'm hearing you say, to tell schools when to open when to, and how to open? Is that just that's exactly, that? that's, that's exactly that's, that's exactly correct. Question. Every year, uh, each school district um, has the ability to set its own calendar. The requirement from the department is 180 days, uh, which is still in play. Uh, we did uh, waive the 330 minutes per day because we knew a lot of districts were going to be um, virtual. And so it's a minimum of 240 minutes per day. But they can, a district can start whenever it wants to start. As I, I mentioned earlier, Madison had an earlier start date, I believe it was. I want to say it was the second week in, in August, and they have just changed and decided not to open until September the 3rd. But that was a local school board and a local superintendent's decision. So any parents that have concerns, that's really where they need to start. Um, the State Department does not have the authority to dictate calendar. All right. Thank you, Dr. Wright, for clearing that up. A lot of people do have questions and um, really wondering why the Department of Education doesn't take the lead on certain decisions. But you just cleared that up. Thank you so much for that. We're going to take our first break. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with State Superintendent of Education, Dr. Carrie Wright. Now, if you have a question or comment for the show, now's the time to call. You can join the conversation by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464. Stay tuned. When we get back, we'll go to um, Shelly in Vicksburg and John holding patiently in Jackson. And if again, if you want to be a part of the show, give us a call. 1-877-672-7464. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. You're listening to Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, today we're discussing Mississippi students heading back to school with our guest, State Superintendent of Education, Dr. Carrie Wright. Now, if you have questions or comments for Dr. Wright, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Now, Dr. Wright, we're going to take a couple of more calls. And after that, I would like to deep dive deep into the reopening uh, Mississippi schools document. And, and let's talk about the member subcommittee you you guys created and how you came up with the three choices and who was on the committee if you um like 
Okay, good deal. Well, let's go to Shelly in Vicksburg. Good morning, Shelly. Thanks for calling the show. Thank you. First of all, I would like to thank Dr. Wright and all of our leaders during this very hard time. It has to be very difficult navigating waters that we've never been in before. So I have a couple of questions. Um, One is about um, testing. And so I have a child who is a junior in high school, and he will be required to take um, state testing this year. As we know, face-to-face learning in person is the best. Um, but obviously, for many reasons, a lot of parents wish to keep their children at home. Is there any way state testing will not be done this year so that um, so that children who do choose to distance learn to learn at home, um, you know, can take that test later on when they have better instruction? So that's my first question. My second question is, have schools been given their MAEP money for July that was vetoed by Reed and promised to be paid through um, the Department of Finance and Administration? So we are working uh, with uh, DFA. That's not going to be a problem. Uh, the monies are going to be appropriated to the districts as uh, needed for MAEP, uh, and that, that's been an ongoing thing um, since uh, since the governor did veto the bill, uh, I do believe that that is going to be on the agenda, obviously, for the special call session, but the districts will not miss a beat as far as MAEP is concerned. And as far as um, your first question was around keeping children at home, was that your first question? Well, it was about the fact that Mississippi hasn't applied for the state testing waiver or, or the federal oh. testing okay. waiver, and we are having state testing waivers. And so while... Um, virtual learning obviously is something we need to have right now. Um, we know that that's not the best option for education, but it is the best option to keep children and teachers safe. And so is there any way that you see those testing restrictions being lifted? Well, the, the Department of Education in D.C. has made it very clear that they're not entertaining any waivers at this time uh, to not uh, uh, to do state testing. And so since it's just July, I think we need to get into the school year and see exactly what the situation is going to be because I would not want to preclude us from testing if we have the ability to test because we this would have made two years in a row that we really don't know um, the state of education uh, you know, and the status of all of our children around the state. And that's my biggest concern. Whether or not it's decoupled from accountability is another, is another discussion as well. Uh, whether the tests are administered, we get a sense of where children are, and then decouple that from accountability. Um, but those are conversations that we're going to continue to have uh, with the superintendents and uh, with the state board. Uh, and it doesn't preclude us from filing a waiver later on. But at this point, I think it, um, we're going to just continue as we, we normally would to plan to administer those tests um, in the spring. Well, thank you, Shelley, for those great questions. Dr. Wright, you, you mentioned a few things we're going to talk about later in the show. Your GLR webinar, um, Maintaining Momentum in Mississippi, we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I know you can go more into detail on how to keep that momentum going that we were on without testing or throughout the pandemic. And you can talk about some key points um, you made in the webinar as well. Um, I heard it was great, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I think it went really well. We got a lot of positive feedback on it. That's great. That's great. Let's double back a little bit and talk about the nine-member subcommittee uh, you guys put sure. together to actually create the Reopening Mississippi Schools document. Um, can you give us the names of the nine um, superintendents you chose, why you chose those nine uh, members, and who else was on the committee? Sure. Uh, so we had uh, Todd English from Boonville, uh, Jason Harris from Columbia, Adrian Hammett from Jefferson County, Tess Smith from Lamar, Charlotte Seals from Madison, Lance Evans from New Albany, Benita Coleman from Ocean Springs, Matt Dillon from Petal, and Miskia Davis from Sunflower. And uh, they were chosen because they represent all areas of the state. They represent small and large uh, they represent all different uh, communities around the state. So we wanted to make sure that the, all voices were heard uh, when we were developing the document. Uh, Benita Coleman uh, chaired um, this committee, and they divided into um, several subcommittees. 
and then developed guidance in three-month increments. So they're going to continue to work. They developed guidance on, for June, July, and August, and then they're going to come back together again and produce one for September, October, November, that kind of thing. And they uh, addressed areas like academic programming, um, operations, family and community support, communications, health and safety, and technology in our learning management systems. And anyone can find this document right on our landing page um, at MDE. All right. Now, were there medical um, um, medical doctors on the committee as well? We've been working with Dr. Dobbs and Dr. Byers. Uh, Dr. Dobbs, you know, is our state health officer. Dr. Byers is the state um, epidemiologist. And so we have been working hand-in-hand with them uh, throughout this. And Dr. Dobbs did meet with this group uh, to provide them some information. Dr. Dobbs has also been on a, um, a virtual meeting with all superintendents around the state and has provided them with decision-making matrix, um, lots of information from his department and lots of information from CDC. So the superintendents were well informed um, about the health and safety aspect when they wrote this. All right. And now, of course, we mentioned this earlier, but the three options, of course, on the document were traditional reopening, a hybrid reopening and a virtual reopening. And again, you, of course, let the districts decide um, which styles. And when I say styles, I put an S on that because a lot of districts are choosing letting the parents choose three options. And I love that. Mm-hmm. And every every district could do what they, like I said, try to meet the needs of their own communities. And I think that is really um, the best thing is that letting local districts decide because every community is different. And some, you know, are hot spots and some are not. And so I think everybody had to feel um, comfortable with, with the decisions that they made. Right. Now they have to load their um, decision on their website by July 31st. Do you know about how many districts have decided as of today? Uh, no, I do not. Um, we are, like I said, we're in the process of, of, of collecting all of that. Uh, the, the plans had to be approved by the local boards, and they had to be uh, posted on every local um, district's website. So those districts that have already gotten theirs approved are probably up and running, but we will have all of those in by, um, by the 31st. And then we will, you know, compile all of that so that um, that can be a document that everybody sees. Dr. Ryan, I want in your in the document. Here's a, a key question that um, I keep getting: is um, is it addressed about when people um, students return to school or if they're going to traditional choosing a traditional route? Will um, COVID testing be required of teachers, students, and how does that look for students' household? That whole um, category of questioning right there keeps coming up. Can you address that for us? Well, I I think a lot of the districts, if not all of the districts, uh, I think are going to be taking temperatures, um, you know, as as children and staff are coming in the building. Uh, I've heard from a number of superintendents that they're also going to severely limit the number of visitors um, in the building so as to um, limit the number of adults that, you know, that that come in to just those that need to come in. Um, I've not heard any of the, um, and nor have I really um, heard Dr. Dobbs recommending that, to be honest with you, that they um, do any of the testing. I think that's something that the health department really and or your local physician uh, would do, but I've not heard him at all mention anything around schools administering their own testing. Well, Dr. Wright, ha- has the Department of Education come up with a statewide plan to, um, I guess, even out um, the districts when it comes to taking temperatures, either before they walk in school or before they get on the bus. And if a child's temperature is over 100.4, what do they do next? Do they go into school yeah. or do they have to go home? Yeah, there are. Yeah, we on um, and this may be on our website as well. We just gave them that document um, because uh, the Department of Health updated their guidance and we put that out. I want to say Tuesday of this week okay. uh, to all the superintendents around, you know, if this, then this, that's exactly what you're asking. Uh, and that's in that document as well. And I believe that is also posted on our COVID-19 page on our website. 
All right. So there is a uniformed plan. And that's what a lot of people were saying. Is there a uniform plan? So this district won't be doing this and this school district won't be doing that. And it's kind of chaotic. Well, if they're following the guidance that the Department of Health has given us, that we have given them, then the answer to that question is yes. Because that's one of the reasons that we have been in constant contact with Dr. Dobbs and Dr. Byers so that we're making sure that our superintendents have the most up-to-date information uh, regarding the health and safety of children and staff. So um, that that's one of the reasons that as soon as we get anything from them, uh, we we put out an update. We were putting out a daily update, and we've gone to a twice-a-week update to all superintendents, principals, and teachers throughout the state. All right. Well, we're going to take another quick break, and when we return, we'll go to to Jackson and speak with George. He has a question for you, Dr. Wright. And if you have a question, you can, of course, join our conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for listening to MPB Think Radio. Inside Mississippi Education Connection, I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, if you're just joining us today, we're discussing the reopening of Mississippi Public Schools with our guest, State Superintendent of Education, Dr. Carrie Wright. Now, if you have a question or comment for Dr. Wright, give us a call at one 672 7464. Well, Dr. Wright, thank you for being so gracious and answering all of the um, callers' questions and answering our questions as well. We love having you on the show. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to go to Jackson and speak with George. Good morning, George. Good morning to you all. Thank you all for taking my call. All right. Thank you for calling and listening. You have a question or comment for the show? I do, yes. I'm the father of a son who was diagnosed with autism. He's nonverbal autistic. And so because of his diagnosis, we have to keep him home because he's unable to meet the um, requirements as regards to the social distancing as well as the mask wearing requirements. So, we'll, again, so we'll be keeping him home. So my question is, what's the plan in place for making sure that those students like that are receiving mm-hmm. an equitable education? And what's the process in place if we feel that he or she is not, in fact, receiving an equitable education? That's a really good question that you brought up, and uh, we've had a lot of concerns um, expressed about our students with disabilities. And so I would expect that your local school will work directly with you as a parent of of a child who cannot come back to school to design a plan so that learning continues. That's the expectation. So I would, if you are not um, uh, receiving that kind of service from your school, first I would contact the principal to see what the design for your child's um, education is going to be, how often, how frequently, uh, what is it, is it going to be a paper pencil, is it going to be something along with a computer, Uh, the devices will be there, and if you don't receive um, a satisfactory answer, then I would suggest that you contact the local superintendent, Uh, because Dr. Eric Green, I know well, and I am sure that he, along with everybody else, is concerned about children that aren't able to return to school. So you should expect, every parent should expect to have a learning plan for his or her child uh, that meets the needs of those children and meets the needs of their IEP. Great. Thank you. 
All right. Thank you, George. Great question. We were actually going to talk about that as well, Dr. Wright. But I have a question uh, about accountability. Um, who? Mm-hmm. How will the district, well, how will your department hold the districts accountable for following the guidelines in place? Well, I think that's one of the things that we'll probably um, have to double check and, and audit on occasion, I would imagine, depending mm-hmm. on the situation around safety. But I've, I've got confidence that um, our superintendents and our principals and our teachers um, are going to carry through with this. You know, this was this caught everybody off guard mm-hmm. in March, no doubt. But we've had time now to regroup. We've been providing uh, professional development virtually around the use of technology, uh, et cetera. And that's going to continue into the fall. So I've talked to teachers. I was on a call with all of my um, uh, teachers' advisory committee. And they're saying, boy, the first thing that they're going to do when they return is make sure that they know how to set up uh, a classroom virtually, that their children know how to get on a Zoom call, um, et cetera. We've also given guidance on how to take attendance because we're concerned that we want to make sure that every child is accounted for and every child is learning. And so we passed an attendance policy that allows uh, districts and tells districts how to collect attendance, even if it's done virtually, because we don't want any children falling through the cracks on this when we do reopen school. Yeah, that that's that's a very good point. Um, let's go back and talk about your CARES funding. I know you guys put out your team composed an allocation plan. Can you break down that plan for us? Yes. So the districts, um, the federal government gave different pots of money to the states. Uh, the the bigger dollars, if you're talking about the 1.25 billion in stabilization funds, that came directly to the state uh, under the legislature and the governor's um, authority. They also then gave money to um, each state department to pass on to the local districts. We had 169.9 million that came into the state uh, and there's a 10% set aside um, for the department and we intend to use our money to help districts that may need more assistance than others. The rest of that money flowed straight through to the district, and it was based on the Title I formula that is used to distribute Title I dollars in the 1920 school year. So every district will have the ability to um, to, to utilize um, those funds, and those are really just flow-through funds right to the district. The governor also received a pot of money, about $34.6 million under his discretion, um, to be able to address any COVID-related um, issues or how COVID had impacted um, the state. So those are monies that, are, um, that are, are there as well. With the stabilization money, though, with Senate Bill uh, 3044, there was about $130 million set aside for devices and anything related to um, digital learning, and then $20 million for um, the State Department discretion to help districts that may need more assistance. And then Senate Bill, excuse me, House Bill 1788 was one that provided $50 million um, to address connectivity. So it's those monies that we are now getting ready to distribute um, to the, well, actually it's a reimbursable. The districts are going to have to send in their invoices and then get reimbursed for that. But we have, uh, actually we've got a webinar today uh, for an hour and a half with all superintendents across the state to talk about the distribution of those dollars. And that's in addition to the money that I was just describing that's already going out to them through the CARES Act. This is the stabilization money that was put in Senate Bill 3044 and House Bill 1788. So they will have access to those funds as well. All right. So, Dr. Wright, let me ask you, um, those CARES funds and the other funds, um, and you talked earlier about can you talk a little bit about how that distribution will happen and will every student actually get a tablet in their hand or is this uh, every family or specifically every student just can you just lay that out for us so we can can understand how that is to take place Sure. So we developed the the digital learning plan and uh, worked with the legislature um, to get the plan funded. And the plan will, in essence, it may not be, um, each district was allowed to ask for the type of platform that they wanted, whether they wanted a Chromebook or whether they wanted an iPad, et cetera. So we took all that information and then um, devised the plan so that every child uh, will end up with a device. Of, of the kind that the district has asked for. Uh, we also asked districts, how many of you need a learning management system? Because some districts did not have that. 
So the districts were able to get, fill out a needs assessment and send that into us, and we used all of that data to design our plan uh, and then work with the legislature to get the funds uh, appropriated for that. So those funds are coming from the stabilization money. That is the $1.25 billion that came into the state. The Senate bill and the House bill are using those dollars. That's in addition to the CARES Act money that came through to the state, to the districts as well. The main difference is that the stabilization money <clears throat> is on a reimbursable. So districts are going to have to put their money out first and then get reimbursed for that. But the webinar that we're having today is going to walk the superintendents exactly through that process so that they know what buckets of money, so that they know what they can spend it on, because it's very prescriptive. It's not just here's the money, go do something with it. It's very prescriptive around what they can and cannot use it for. All right. I love that. And that webinar is for superintendents all over the state today? Yes, ma'am. Superintendents, they're probably going to have their business managers on the phone, I would imagine. <laughs> um, and that's going to be from 1.30 to 3 today. All right. Um, we have another caller from Jackson. Michelle is on the line. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Thanks for calling the show. You have a question or comment for Dr. Wright? Well, uh, it's a it's a question and uh, a comment at the same time. Um, I'm a parent, and um, uh, I do uh, very much agree with uh, on-site learning, you know. But in my uh, position, I have a son, and he has a 504 plan uh, because he has a medical condition. And with that being said, he will not be able to be around or just take the chance and the risk of being around anybody else because his immune system is very, very low. So I have a job, and I'm working full-time, but with that being, you know, with that being my only option, I have no choice but to do virtual learning for him. But it puts me in a position where, like, now I have to quit working so I can be at home with him so that I can make sure he's learning. And I was just wondering, have they thought about anything for like us parents who have no other choice if your kids have a medical condition and we have no other choice but to do virtual learning you know because that was going to stop my income uh you know that's a that's a really tough uh question and i wish i had a good answer for you um because you're certainly not the only parent that's in this in this position well, um i would hope that your the school could work with you um somehow to to assist with with uh, with the virtual part of it, no doubt. Um, okay. But I, I wish I had a good answer for the parents that have to return to work full time, and um, the only option for their children is virtual learning. Right. But unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for you. Yeah, because I understand it's just it happened, and don't nobody know what to do. But it is a lot of parents that have kids with yep. condition, and it's like, what do we do? You know, like I don't I don't even know what to do. You know, I I have to tell my boss, you know, that, um, you know, when school starts, you know, that I'll have to put my two weeks notice in, you know, because I do have to teach my son. And I have another kid in school, but um, I made the choice to let him do virtual because I didn't want one going and he said, and, you know, he might bring something back. So I just did both say, you know. Do you do you have family or a neighbor that um, is going to be in the same position that your child may um, be able to work with? Um, I'm looking now. Um, I'm looking, okay. for, but most of my family, honestly, they work. You know, most of a lot of people, sure. they work, you know, um, I don't um, just know nobody right off. A lot of people in my community are doing virtual learning just by their own choice. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't know now. I'm looking to, I'm, I'm really searching and looking for any people that might say, hey, we might take a couple kids and, mm-hmm. you know, allow them to, you know, get together and, and do their work online. But I hadn't found anybody yet to, you know, kind of come up with that type of organization. It'll help a lot of parents out a lot. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, good luck to you. I'm sorry I don't have a better answer for you. 
Thank, okay. thank you, Michelle. Um, Dr. Wright, she brought up a lot of uh, great points. Um, this We were talking about this off air, but this is a great opportunity for any retired teachers or anyone in any educators that are not going back in the classroom to see if they can get together and help those parents who really need to be um, at a job, but their students cannot be back in the classroom face-to-face. This is that golden opportunity to maybe put together some programs that can help um, teach students at home um, so they that's won't... A, that's a really good suggestion, actually. That's it a really is. good suggestion. All right. And Michelle, well, mm-hmm. I'll dive in here and say that, hey, if there are any teachers, any parents, you know, for anyone who's trained and, and working with with children who is willing to, to do that and to start these types of groups in your communities, you know, send us an email at education at mpbonline.org. And we will compile a list, and we will try to communicate this to everyone and try to put that out there. So why don't you do that? Take that down, education at mpbonline.org. Send us an email if you are willing to start a group within your community, because apparently that is a great need. Um, So Mm -hmm. we'll be willing to, you know, spearhead that and and make sure we get that information out. That's a great suggestion. That's That's a great public service that you're doing. That's perfect. All right. Well, we do have another call, but before we get to that call, Dr. Um, Wright, I don't want to um, run out of time before you t- talk about your um, suspensions of some policies that you guys did for the uh, upcoming year. I know you talked about uh, you changed the hours of instructional hours per day and some other things. Can we talk about that just for a little bit? Sure. So we um, we we passed some of the waivers last year, but then we had to come back and, and redo because we knew this was a, you know, we didn't obviously expect to be in the same situation, I think, in the fall. Um, but we uh, waived the um, the number of hours. We have waived the seat time. So uh, typically, it's I think it's 140 hours, you know, for a Carnegie unit in high school. So we've asked the district then to design um uh, their, how they're going to ensure the mastery of content uh, in order to earn a Carnegie unit. Uh, we also waived um, overall uh, the professional growth system for teachers and administrators because we felt it would be very difficult uh, to really evaluate teachers and administrators when sometimes you're in school and sometimes you're not. Um, there, all those waivers uh, are also on our website. Uh, and we put all that, anything that you want to know that's COVID-related is right on our landing page. So uh, we've got a lot of information up there. And that's where I would, would suggest that you go to get all of these details. Some of them are just really more school-specific uh, than not. Uh, we had different things around um, school lunches. You know, typically uh, we it's an offer versus serve. And so we've, we've, we've done away with that so that it's, it, children are driving by and picking up lunches, try to make that easier. We really tried to look at the waivers that we knew um, that might give uh, districts and schools more flexibility. And that's really where we started. Right. And uh, again, before we go to Sarah, can you talk about your Maintaining Momentum in Mississippi uh, webinar and just a few key points that you talked about in that webinar and how to keep Mississippi on track during this pandemic? Well, you know, it was a it was a wonderful opportunity. The campaign for grade level reading, I can't say enough about the organization and their director, uh, Ralph Smith, who's just done tremendous work around the nation. And we've got some campaign for grade level reading, um, you know, communities here in Mississippi too. But but they asked me to come in because we have just catapulted to uh, up the ladder uh, over the past few years, and Mississippi has really gained such national recognition because of the hard work of our teachers and administrators. And it was really just an opportunity to share, you know, where we were and where we are. Um, this past year, Quality Counts um, ranked Mississippi as one of the five most improved states in the nation. Um, we've gotten such the national recognition for our, our, um, our progress on the National um, Assessment of Education Educational Progress, our NAEP scores in grades four and eight, and our high school graduation rates, the highest it's ever been at 85%. And we talked about our early learning collaboratives and how the, our preschool students that are in our collaboratives are coming in already ready for kindergarten, um, outpacing, you know, all other 
pre-K kids. So it was just an opportunity to really let the nation know um, how hard we worked. We, we've talked about advanced placement. We did um, our advanced placement uh, scores, and the number of children even taking advanced placement has more than doubled uh, since 2013, and as are the number of kids. And our pass rate has not even dropped by even doubling the number of kids taking advanced placement. So it's proof positive about what is happening in Mississippi. You know, our poor students on our NAEP assessment outperformed all their peers around the nation in fourth grade, and that is huge. So our children in poverty, our children of color, I mean, every area of the state was showing improvement. And I think that's what's been so hard for us in education with this shutdown, because it's critical now that we um, start the year strong. I've advised teachers. I, I was asked, you know, do I pick up with the third or the fourth quarter standards and start that in the fall? And I said, no, absolutely not. Start with the current grade level standards and teach from there. Our goal is to accelerate learning. We Remediation does not work. There's too much research out there that says that. Start with grade level standards and accelerate from there. We and we've got to just we've got to just take this bull by the horns. It's not what any of us want to be doing right now, but it's what we've got to be doing for the children of the state. I love that. And of course, last question for the hour. Of course, a lot of administrators around the country are in your position right now. And again, we want to say thank you and your team for doing the best that you can, stepping up to the plate, coming up with the um, three guidelines for the districts. And again, a lot of people have their own opinions about what you should be doing i'm sure you get that from all sides but you have to stay focused what are you doing to handle all of the pressure and what advice would you give other state leaders well we're on calls um twice a week uh on the, the state chiefs are so we get a lot of opportunity to share what each of us you know is addressing and to share resources with each other and ideas with each other uh, and that has been very helpful the council of chief state school officers is the organization that all of us belong to and they have really been forthcoming in providing a lot of resources to state chiefs who then can pass that on to the districts and that we have done as well um, but i think it's just it's staying on top of it i mean you there's not a, a you can't let down a minute. I mean, it's it, it, it's seven days a week. It's not your Monday through Friday job, that's for sure. And I think just making sure that we are on top of the situation for the safety and health of our children, uh, as well as the education of our children. And that's the reason we felt so strongly about putting together this digital plan uh, that the legislature um, was kind enough for us to fund. You know, once we get all this in place, I don't think there's another state in the nation, to be honest with you, that's doing what we're doing right now. Uh, we're really, we're this digital plan is concerned and um it's it's amazing and our legislature deserves a lot of credit all right well dr wright state superintendent of education thank you and we appreciate your time today well we've come to the end of another great show we want to thank our listeners and of course thank our guest again state superintendent of education dr carrie wright for joining us today mississippi education connection is a production of mississippi public broadcasting think radio in conjunction with mpb's educational services and mississippi department Department of Education. For Tara Wren, I'm Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women and join us next Friday at 10 a.m. here on MPB Think Radio.